of Colorado and the white school, trying so hard to get into Okay, we're recording. Back at Little Beaver again. Tyson's here. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing well. How you doing? Doing pretty good. It's a rainy day today. You didn't get out to plant any trees, huh? I didn't. No, I was I was supposed to, uh, me and the family were supposed to go plant trees for the Ecology Action Center, and uh, I think they canceled yesterday and today, Saturday and Sunday. So, Dang. yeah, they anticipated it a little bit, so I think they got some more volunteers out on Friday to get ahead of it a little bit but i think they might reschedule maybe i hope so yeah i mean uh, my daughter was excited about going and doing it so yeah yeah for sure so before we start i have something to mention to everybody we now have a patreon account we have heard from a lot of people that they really appreciate what we do and there are a few bills here and there and uh, i've also heard from people that they don't necessarily appreciate how much time we spend talking about different advertisers over and over again. I try to make them as interesting as possible, but you know, uh, if you want to uh, show us that you are appreciative of what we do, then head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search for PodBN. There's a few different ways that you can say thank you there. Just for anything from uh, buying us a cup of coffee to helping us pay the bills here. There are some bills associated with this. We're not trying to make a lot of money off it, but we're also not trying to sink a bunch of money into this endeavor as well. And I want to thank our first two patrons that we have, and these will be names that you recognize. This is Donna Bolin and Kelby Cumston. Thank you very much for signing up to support PodBN. We really appreciate it. I do not think it is a coincidence that you two are both Strong Towns fans, so I, uh, you know, you're helping support people doing uh, little things to make their community better, so I appreciate that. How was your Tuesday night? Uh, you know, it was uh, spent re- like like a lot of us nerds, right? Refreshing Twitter and the uh, BC site and county clerk site. Um, but it was good. I mean, I had like, you know, four or five different chat conversations going on at once. Mm-hmm. It was nice not being that involved in any campaign. Uh, that was a little different for me. Um, you know, usually I'm sweating it a little bit more for, for um, a campaign that I had worked hard on. But I kind of stayed out of this cycle and that was refreshing for me. But still... Honestly, a pit in my stomach a lot of the night. Just mm-hmm. go, going back and forth, especially the way the county clerk dropped numbers. Um, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of mood swings going on. Uh, we were attempting to watch a TV while I was on the couch, and finally my wife just shut off the TV because you know <laughs> I was I was too busy like yelling and uh, yeah yeah. That's it's tough to read the early results because it matters so much where they're coming in from, and I couldn't get a good sense of you know what precincts reporting and things, and I don't know the the swing of the precincts well enough but at normal in particular um i had already i mean i thought tiratilli around 10 o'clock had just the insurmountable lead and then all of a sudden just boom swung in a different direction and so. before that i thought coos had a good lead uh, i mean because that's what it kind of if i'm remembering right uh when i first kind of the first big drop was uh, in favor of mayor coos and then um they did another drop and it looked like tiratilli was up by a couple hundred votes mm-hmm. um but yeah and i'm not as familiar with normal numbers or precincts either so so i was i wasn't as uh in keen with that but yeah and then it swung back to coos by what do you win by um uh let's see a couple hundred I yeah think. i mean um, I, I, it was a pretty uh good margin i think it was over 300 yeah 300 um, i mean sorry no I got the latest ones up here. It's 400 now. Okay. So, yeah, so. a pretty good margin, uh, especially in comparison to the 11-vote victory he had four years ago. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
and, that and, one was and, and normal in general, right? Nothing changed. I mean, out of all those candidates that ran, yeah, we're, we have the same council that we did, uh, you know, on Monday. So. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I I definitely would not have called that. Well, I mean, first just the mayoral race. I was confident all along that Tiratilli would win. Not that I necessarily did or didn't want him to, but it just he got so close last time. He's been campaigning for four years. Um, I felt like he really defined the debate. There was so much conversation about debt going on. I said early on, if, if we're talking more about debt, I think Mark wins. If we're talking more about um, Rivian, then Chris wins. Uh, I thought totally I thought Chris did a good job of making it about Rivian. So mm-hmm. uh, to counter to counter what Terratilli was doing, um, he really. You know, and a lot of good news dropped from Rivian sure. in the final month or two, which I think definitely helped Miracus as well. Um, March surprises? Is that what we have municipal elections? <laughs> I guess March so. surprise. I mean, I, I I'll take credit for normal because I don't get I don't get much credit for Bloomington because I didn't call it much of anything in Bloomington. But yeah. uh, in normal, I got them all right except one. I thought one of the uh, reco- uh, incumbent council members would lose their seat. I didn't know which one, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought two would win, and I thought Coos would win. Um, I thought Coos and Tiratilli would be closer than it was, um, but yeah. either way, a win's a win. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it definitely sends an interesting message, right? When uh, if you just focus on normal, because there's been a lot of coverage of people who are hesitant or downright strongly opposed to the direction that things have gone over the last, 10, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, Definitely a lot of um, noise being made. You know, f- three candidates. I mean, I guess Donna. I, I don't. I don't know what Donna Tony was doing. I heard that she was on the conservative side, but I never remember anything she did. So I'll just say three candidates definitely came out and articulated that that conservative point, that anti-establishment uh, point, and um, you know the, the electorate. Seems like they want to just keep going, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, to, to, let's like go a little deeper in that. So Tiratelli lost by 11 votes four years ago, and he. So essentially, he's been campaigning for uh, you know five, little over five years to be mayor of Normal, um, and his message resonated more four years ago than it did today. And why is that? I think I think Coos has shown. Um, I think Coos ran a better campaign this time. I think he was out there way more this time than he was four years ago. Um, I think Coos handled overall, I'm not saying he didn't make some missteps, but overall handled the pandemic and COVID fairly well in most people's eyes. Um, and I think the success of Rivian has definitely, definitely helped. You know, Tiratilli was quoted, and, and he went on to explain these quotes maybe uh, out of context, and I'll let the listeners be the judge of that. But... Um, he was he was framed as someone that wasn't in favor of Rivian coming here at all, and and I think most people continuously read stories about the success of Rivian um, has helped sway those votes. So yeah, I think a lot of factors came together for Mayor Coos, and he's got four more years, which is going to make if he finishes his term twenty two years as mayor of Normal. Yeah, uh, that's quite a run. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I I think pretty much now. That's that means we're going forward with underpass. We're probably going forward with um, trail east. My that uh, the right term, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's what they're down. It. Um, I'm interested to see what happens. I always get the term for this wrong, but the old soldiers and sailors home. There's some idea of changing the zoning of that and trying to incent some more. Um, is it like called like one normal plaza? Yeah, that's, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. So you know that might that might proceed there and. Um, 
Just got to, I mean, like Rivian, right? People make certain calls based on the information they have. It looks like Rivian wasn't the right call. So, you know, we can hope that if normal keeps going in that direction, that that's the right call too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I, I am optimistic about Rivian, but there's also a lot hanging on Rivian that, I mean, they haven't sold a car yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I have, a, I've known a lot of friends and, and acquaintances that have gone to work there, which has been phenomenal creating jobs for, for our local, local community. But it's still a risk, right? I mean, it's, no matter how many billions of dollars get sucked into it, at the end of the day, it's still a startup. And there's a lot of risk when it comes to a startup. So yeah, um, it, it, we'll see. It, it's still a, still a thing. We're going to see how that turns out. I'm optimistic. I mean, especially with you know companies with uh, a lot of success like Amazon and Ford coming in mm-hmm. helps me be optimistic. But um, it's still risky, and we'll see how it pays off. Though. Going back to when that when they came in, I mean, we were what days or weeks away from demolishing a plant. So, mm-hmm. yeah, even if it was a band aid and, and Rivian doesn't turn out to be anything, and I'll knock knock on wood hoping that doesn't happen, but um, it's still been a success short term for for normal. Yeah, looking more closely at the candidates, I was really surprised at how well Bloom and Shine did. Gosh, um, yes. Since he, uh, you know, he ran against Dan Brady, didn't make some friends by doing that. I was. Uh, I'll speak for Jeremy since he's not here. Yeah, Jeremy was pretty convinced, and I was in agreement with him that of that group, Blumenshine was less likely to get there. But he was uh, he was right in the mix with those top I, three. I agree. Um, you know, at one point in the evening on Tuesday, he was uh, in the top he was three. In there, yeah, and um, that's that's about when my phone blew up. I got like three or four text messages and two phone calls. Which, you, in today's world, when your phone actually rings, it's like, what's going on? But um, yeah, I had a conversation with somebody, and they're like, "Is this really going to happen?" I'm like, "I I have no idea what's happening." But it was a surprise to me um, for the reason you just said. I mean, he upset I think some um, older establishment Republicans when he decided to run against Dan Brady. Um, and of course, he's you know there's not too many people on the left that's a, a Bloom and Shine fan. Uh, based on he, he was part of that, he organized that bus trip to D.C., which which upset a lot of people. Yeah. Also so, refused to do a lot of media too. Like he he turned down a lot of GLT requests and things like that. So, um, what, what does that say though, Tyson, about the electorate in normal that he got that many votes? Yeah. I mean that's I think that's what we have to look at. Even if you. It, he didn't win, but if you're, um, you know, someone like Chris Coos or, I mean, heck, even Dan Brady or, or whoever uh, that's more of that establishment, what are, you, what are you taking away from having that many votes go in Blumenshine's favor? Because mm-hmm. um, well, there's obviously people that think he's doing something right. Yeah. I'm not one of them, so it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it's uh, it's something that, as a liberal, I, I struggle with because we're all about diversity, right? We're all about respecting um, people's lived experiences and we like to say we are. diversity, wanting to bring a diversity of thought into things. But then it's like, like, oh, wait, when that person's like conservative or a Trump supporter, then all of a sudden I don't want to hear what they have to talk about. You, you got to, I mean, he's only a, a less than 200 votes below the, you know, the third vote getter here. Like you said, a significant portion of the community, he's speaking to them. And if we're really going to represent the whole community and to, and to you know, respect those views, you got to try to figure out what in there you can, what you can work with, right? Yeah, I think it depends on what parts 
is he saying that's speaking to the voters, right? Yeah. I mean, because there's a moral line somewhere in there, too, that I'm sure a lot of uh, progressives and even some more uh, moderate Republicans are drawing, right? There, there's like, I don't care if, you know, 45% of the people think he's right, if he thinks that the you know, general election was a fraud, then I still don't believe him. And I don't, I don't need to listen to him say that anymore. And I, I, I understand that part of it. But is there something that he is saying that is resonating with people that there can be some common ground on? And, and, yeah. and the reason why we want to dissect that and learn from that is because, one, I mean, of course, if a lot of people believe it, but also what parts of it can we use to better our community as a whole, right? That doesn't mean just because someone's evil doesn't mean they're 100% evil. And I'm not calling them evil in this. I'm just saying it for an example. And just because someone we think someone's on our side and good doesn't mean they're 100% good. Um, so, yeah, trying to pick out what little pieces that he was saying that was really resonating with people and which part of those are we willing to be flexible on and which ones are we got to draw a line on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of it's just going to be tribalism. We can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's just there. He's clearly a Republican. There's Republicans that are on the Republican team. They don't like. They don't want the Democrats and vice versa. And you know, if there's votes that go along those lines, there's unfortunately nothing you can do because it's like trying to convince a Cubs fan to say something nice about a Cardinals, right? <laughs> so you're outside the realm of ideas at that point. I don't want to chalk all of it up to just that, though. That's yeah. the And I think both major parties, uh, Republican and Democrat, are going through the same identity crisis right now. Um, You know, on the Republican side, you have the moderate Republicans that recognize the results of the presidential election and, you know, um, aren't going to, um, you know, have a big rally in favor of of MAGA or anything like that. But you do have that sector of the Republican Party, too. Then on the Democratic side, you have this uh, Democratic Socialist um, you know, group that is a part of a larger Democratic group um, where moderate Democrats are like, you know, even though we might agree on this, like the same with the Republicans, like they kind of agree on the same ideology, but like the methods and some of the more fringe things they might not get together on. It's really dividing both parties up um, in a unique way. And it's going to, I think what's going to be um, a factor over the next four to eight years is how each one of those parties deals with those those problems and those internal struggles mm-hmm. um, to see which one comes out stronger. Yeah. Yep. My other uh, disappointment in normal was how poorly Brad McMillan did. He was my favorite person that we talked to. I just feel like he was just a just a um, exactly what I want to see in a. Uh, municipal candidate he was you know fiscally conscious but still talking about progress uh you know personally i respect you know what he does as in his um role as a professor doing leadership studies and he did second to last there so that's a little bit discouraging to me uh i I my take on it is i think he didn't get swept up into a group probably intentionally from his perspective he wasn't part of the Carl Steve David group. He wasn't part of the AJ Kevin Kim Chamberly Scott group, and so he just sort of was standing up there by him by himself. I mean, no matter how great your message is, if no one hears it, it doesn't matter, right? And yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I like Brad. I like Brad McMillan a lot. I like AJ Zimmerman a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I hope both of those individuals, you know, stay engaged. And I mean, AJ's on uh, planning commission and normal. Um, is he still on planning commission? I think so. I think so but, yeah, I think um, he's chair. Yeah. But um, yeah, I hope they continue and maybe run for something in the future too, because I think both of them have that moderate 
views. I think they just need to get their message out there a little better to the masses. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, in a different election, it might have worked yeah, out. Yeah, and the extreme. I mean, the extreme voices uh, on both sides always get heard, right? Because media likes to pick those up. And I'm not picking on the media. I'm just saying that's what people want to hear. They want to. They they want someone to be angry at or someone to be passionately behind. Mm-hmm. They don't want someone that like, all right, this is good vanilla ice cream, right? <laughs> like, um, so yeah. yeah, it makes it difficult for the for the more moderate uh, person to have their voices heard. Yeah. To that, to that end, though, we could go back to Bloomington, where the the more ex- extreme voices, the louder voices, uh, got voted out too. This time, from the progressive side of things, uh, yeah. not voted out, but didn't get the vote. Um, so that was that was interesting on both sides. The and normal, you had the the challengers, if you want to call them that, right? The the people who are uh, opposed to what's going on right now, they got they got voted out. You'd see something similar in, in Bloomington. Although there weren't incumbents in Bloomington, there was still um, everyone in the People's First Coalition did not win. And there's kind of that message of just like, kind of let's continue to have like fiscal responsibility and careful, deliberate action be the way to go instead of more like, uh, what would I say? More of an aggressive movement towards our goals. And you nailed it right there. I think in both the town of Normal and the city of Bloomington, the status quo won, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, the, obviously in Normal when everybody gets reelected, uh, but in Bloomington, I think that the, they they rejected some of the more extreme views. Um, you know, Maboko wins as mayor, someone that's been on council for ten years. Everybody was familiar with him, even though he's not, you know, extremely far one way or the other. He's comfortable, mm-hmm. and I think. That's what won in the uh, council seats as well. I mean, even someone like Molly Ward, who is very close ideologically, ideologically wow, that was a tough one, um, with her opponent, Kelby. Um, but, you know, she won by a pretty good margin in that ward. I think a big part of it was because she's been on there for even a few months. Um, and she seemed like a safer bet. And she wasn't part of a coalition. And I'm not saying it was, you know, because they were the coalition they lost. We can have that, that uh, talk here in a second. But I think it was just the comfort level. Um, and same with same with Nick Becker in five, uh, Sheila Motney in three, um, and then of course Jamie didn't have an opponent. But yeah, yeah I think um, I think the status quo won in both communities. Yeah, I definitely uh, didn't call Ward Nine at all, and we didn't actually spend any time on that. I think when we talked before, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, my lesson from Tom Crumpler beating Jim Froon is just you got a campaign. I don't. <laughs> Got to do something. I, don't, I think if Jim, <laughs> I think if Jim just would have gotten out there at all, made some calls, put some signs up. So I, I think he he could have easily swung what 19, 20 people that he needed. Uh, he just didn't do it. Tom and I don't know what he did at all. Yeah. I know he didn't have any signs. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard, and this is all secondhand, that he didn't knock on doors, didn't make phone calls. Um, so. I think he was writing on hoping that people would remember his time on council and remember his name and vote for him. Yeah. Um, but to your point, you got to, you got to campaign. Um, and Tom worked, I think, I think Tom, I don't live in that ward uh, or near that ward, but from what I hear that, they, he sent out quite a few mailers. Yeah. Um, I talked to a friend the other day that said they, th- they think they got one every day from him. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, he did, he did some work on that end. Um, and I think both of them are pretty close, uh, to the way they're going to sit on council, whether it was Fruin or Crumpler also. I think Crumpler's probably a little bit more progressive, um, but I think overall they're probably both moderate. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people get on council and you don't, you know, they surprise you. Um, yeah, especially in Ward 9. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, that one, I, I, I don't know if that one surprised me. Um, 
I yeah. just, I, to me, it's a, just a lesson that there's some people I hear have this perception that spending money on a campaign is maybe like desperate or it's unnecessary or it's inauthentic or something like that. But that's not how maybe things used to be that way. I don't know. But ever since I've been paying attention, you see clearly the people who put in the work, they, they get the votes. They don't always win. Right. I mean, there's a lot of people who work really hard, don't win, but you see plenty of examples of people who just, man, they, they just they didn't do anything and they lost. What do you know? So. You could have a lot of money and still be very bad at using it, right? Mm-hmm. So so it takes all it takes a lot of effort and skill to win an election. Um, you have to be a good fundraiser and be able to raise the money needed, uh, and you're going to have to be a good manager to know how to use that money to the best of its ability. Um, I mean, Mike Straza is a somewhat good example of that. He he did a really good job of raising money, but still fell short. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to Maboka. So I've actually I haven't looked to see if anybody's filed anything um, since April, but um, I mean I'm interested to see the quarterly filings on some of those to see where some of those candidates ended up on fundraising. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, I, I think money's. I mean, we can get into this uh, donation thing with with the police union um, to Motney and Becker and how much that helped. In my opinion, I think they would have won anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a certain point in which additional money doesn't isn't useful, and I mean, it, to me, there in the campaigns I've worked on, you pretty much have your budget set by the time you're a month out from the election day, and hopefully you've got the money. If not, I mean, you could always use a few extra thousand. But for a city council race, like we, you and I talked about, what would I even do with eleven thousand dollars in one ward in a month? I can't even. You, I don't even know if you could spend that much money. And here's, so and it, it kind of reaches a cap where it's not that helpful anymore, right? Here's where I see the danger uh, in that, the way it fell out. Again, we'll find out when the quarterly filings come out, but I, I, have, a, I have an idea that they probably didn't spend anywhere close to that, that money, and it's sitting in their account still, mm-hmm. which means what if uh, Becker, and I don't think this is going to happen, I'm just saying this is what the potential is, if Becker or Montney does not go along with what the police union think they're going to do, and then the police can't, can't take that money back. So it's yeah. sitting in there, and it's going to make it a lot more difficult for someone to run against them in four years. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to make that sizable donation, making it early on is helpful so they actually get to spend it, and mm-hmm. uh, you, it won't work against you in the future. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I really think it was more of a political statement. The, the size of it, it seemed like it was designed to draw attention. It was designed to make that that choice clear on that issue. And... Uh, a smaller donation might not have turned as many heads as it did. In my opinion, they probably overdid it. They probably could have done half as much and still done it. But, you know, hey, it's their money. They can use it as they want. Um, well, and, and I mean, I you know, I, I was in a, I was quoted a small quote in a WGLT article. But when I was talking to Ryan Denham from WGLT about this, he asked me what I thought about these donations coming in. And I said, well, good and bad, right? I mean, it's kind of weird to see that much money coming into a local race. Like, I understand all the backlash and perspective there. But not just talking about the police union, but there were a lot of individual contributors that spent a lot of money on this local race also uh, across many candidates. And I said, at least people are, like, realizing that spending that money on local, it, it means is more impactful than, like, writing a big 
check to a congressperson, right? Like mm-hmm. like eleven thousand dollars to a congressperson not going to go as far as it is to <laughs> a ward race. And I think it's good that people recognize that. It's going to help more people get involved. And, and you don't have to play with those bigger numbers. My twenty dollar donation to a city council person means a heck of a lot to that yeah. city council person. Yeah. Um, where you know my. $10 reoccurring to uh, some national candidate or national party or PAC isn't going to mean as much. So at least it, the positive or silver lining out of this is people are paying attention to local politics now and realizing that it does impact their lives, whether when I say their lives, maybe it's an individual, but maybe it's also a union or a business. And they're like, wow, I need to start paying attention to what's going on in the area around me. Mm-hmm. I can understand where that can be fearful for other people, though, right? That, yeah. that feel like those big businesses aren't aligned with what they want to see happen in their community. Mm-hmm. And that can, that can cause a lot of fear there too. Yeah. I think something that is important to remember is there's not a, it's not like someone has to take some sort of pledge to do a certain type of thing to get that money, right? They're still free to do what they want. Now you don't want to be naive and think that it's not going to come with some sort of expectation of you acting a certain way but um like you said the police union can't be if if sheila and nick come and turn around and do vote for a reduction in the police budget it's not like the pack can come and say hey we want our money back now no. right so um they're still free to do what they want uh it's all about it's all about like there's no backroom deal like neither of those candidates uh i would guess <laughs> went to the police union and yeah. said, hey, give me money and I'll vote every way you want me to vote. Yeah. Obviously they both that, told me they were surprised about it. Yeah. Outside, so, um, I mean, didn't court it. Uh, obviously, if that were to happen, that would be bad <laughs> if we were starting to set that. Yeah. But it, if an if a organization, business, PAC, or individual listens to candidates and thinks, man, I really badly need this candidate to win because I don't like what the other people are saying, and they open up their checkbook to do that, I think that's a good thing, right? Like, that's exactly what I do when I donate to candidates. I listen to them all, and usually I'm I'm donating money in opposition of their uh, of the other person more than I am for them. You know, mm-hmm. um, thinking back to four, you know, uh, when Terry ran for re-election, how many supporters came out and volunteered either their time or their money because of Ian Bain. Right. You had a guy that was like, this guy is crazy. I do not want him running our city. And that motivated more people Mm -hmm. uh, than we could have ever done without him. And I think that's what if you want to stand up and be uh, make a bold statement like defund the police is a bold statement, whether you agree with it or not, then you should expect people to come out really in favor of it and also extremely against it. Yeah. Um, And if those people extremely against it have more resources than you do, whether those resources are money or volunteer time, that's going to be bad for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the volunteer time is something that people don't appreciate it. In my opinion, if, if there was a group that offered, they said, hey, we could either give you a couple thousand dollars or we could give you 10 volunteers, I'd take the volunteers hands down. That's the more rare resource to get is someone who will actually show up and do the canvassing you want them to do. Well, that's something else that uh, Sheila Montney and Nick Becker got was firefighter unions coming out, knocking on doors for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, back with my experience of running campaigns, that's what we would lean on. I mean, yeah, we would always accept a check, right? But, um, yeah, if unions or groups or churches or anybody says, hey, we could give you 10 volunteers, we say, yes, absolutely. We had volunteers uh, during Terry's reelection campaign 
that came from like out of town. Um, you know, hey, my son went to school here. I've always been invested in the community. I saw this Ian Bain guy. I can't. We can't have him win. Um, so, I think people are motivated by by making sure someone else loses. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So again, you come out with defund the police as a major talking point. You're gonna. You should expect some backlash from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you, I mean, like I said, I'm not. I'm not saying defund the police is right or wrong in this statement. I'm saying that you can't say something that that controversial without expecting that backlash. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say even um, even they didn't prominently feature defund the police, the People First Coalition. I don't remember that being really prominently featured in a lot of their talking points. It was definitely there, though. The connection could easily be made. And the, the relationship that they had with Jen Carrillo, who has been very, you know, vocal on this point, too, I think um, that doesn't that didn't help anything for him. But. Yeah, I, and I mean, I heard, um, I, don't, I don't even want to say this, because I don't want it to be taken the right way, the wrong way, and I don't want people to come at me like I'm accusing of anything. But this is my firsthand experience that I heard, I had two separate people come to me and said, I really like this candidate and I'll just say this candidate is one of the people's for people first coalition candidates um, but I don't I don't I don't really like Jen Creo and I'm afraid they're going to be too much like her mm-hmm. and so that was two separate cases for me and I and overall I think Jen stayed out of that campaign overall but people were still made the connection um, I think she was listed as our campaign manager oh was she really I didn't know that. I didn't catch that if that's yeah. true <laughs> um, but uh, so and I don't. I've had people tell me that too. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I don't don't come at me like this. I didn't say that. It's just that's what I've heard. From, I heard from two different people mm-hmm. um, that hey, I really like this candidate. They sound really good, but I'm I'm worried that they're gonna you know do what I've seen this other person do um, because and and those close associations matter. Um, so this came up before the election uh, with Maboka and Chuck Erickson on uh, Twitter. Yeah. Um, I think it was Twitter. It might have been Facebook. And, and I'm like, it's fair. It's like, I, I'm not saying that Maboka is going to be like Chuck Erickson and, and, or one way or the other. I'm saying that it's fair to have that as one reason someone judges a, who they vote for is to say they associate with this person. Mm-hmm. They trust this person's advice. So I'm not going to vote for that person. And that's a fair thing to say. Straza had that with Coos as well. Yes. That was one of the criticisms of his was how closely he was tied in normal to Coos. And he's just the establishment right. candidate, which was interesting because Rick has <laughs> been on council for 10 years. Yeah. Straza hasn't. But somehow he became viewed by the right as the establishment candidate. It was, it was very odd. I didn't understand that. The Bloomington mayoral race was odd. I mean, I... I, I might have told you, I told several people, that last day I seriously changed my mind on who I thought was going to win like three, four times. It was like every <laughs> couple hours I would be like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I went every way with it. Um, and, and every one of those candidates I think is good people. I've said this a number of times. Mm-hmm. I, I'm Facebook friends with them all. Um, they're all good people who I think want the best for their community. Um, and I think that made it difficult, too, is because there was not an Ian Bain There wasn't type that person. person you were voting against, right? right. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, um, I mean, sev- I just, I said that about those two people, but I had several people tell me, nah, if this, per- I'm voting for this person, but if these other two win, I'm not that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people felt that way, which is honestly why I was a little surprised at the turnout numbers, because I thought because people were so uh, neutral in who was going to win, then that might come through in a lower turnout. But yeah, it was pretty, pretty flat. Um, 
overall, I believe the turnout came out to be. But. Um, I don't have the percent. I don't have the registered voters in front of me from four years ago, but there were more votes. There was a thousand more. The number of votes went from ten thousand seven hundred to eleven thousand six hundred. So but with more population too, I believe. So yeah, yeah, maybe there's more people registered. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it definitely was up in normal. It went from uh, eighteen to twenty-five. Yeah, so that's a that big, that's a big jump. Big jump for them. Yeah. yeah, it's but I, so to go back to the point of like who people associate with, I think it's okay to take into account as one factor. Yes, I don't like when it's just the entirety of it though, when it's just this this game of like, well, so and so. Well, people do it with you. People All the time. are like, oh, well, Justin was Terry's campaign manager. That yeah. means he's in the bag with Terry. It's like no, it means that at that time he thought it was the best candidate. He thought it'd be a good experience to run his campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, J- Justin is very open with what he thinks Terry does well and, and not well. And it's not like you're just Terry's boy now because you were his campaign manager. I mean, they really do think we're best friends, and, and I, I consider Terry a friend. Uh, but like, I talk I talked to Terry for the first time uh, the day before election day. That was the first time I talked to him in months. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think to your point it should be one factor and that's why I said I think it's fair to say I, I agree with what you just said though it's not the I mean I associate with so many different people politically mm-hmm. um, and I've volunteered on campaigns of moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans um, so it, but and if you want to hold that to me I'm willing to own that right mm-hmm. I mean I've had Democrats come up to me and be like wow you 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 were Josh Barnett's treasurer. I mean, are you really a Democrat? Yep. And then I've had, you know, Republicans come up to me about, you know, hey, you were Terry Renner's campaign manager. Um, yeah, I was. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a local election, so I don't think those um, those mean that much on a local scale because if you lined up and just had no name on the paper and had Josh and Terry write what their future of the city looks like, I think both of them would be pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, only, only the trained eye could probably pick those differences out, so... Yeah, and um, and also in a community of our size, you don't have to stretch very far to connect any one person. To the other. No. You know, we're not seven degrees of separation or six degrees of separation apart. No. You can probably take four jumps with anybody who's who's involved in the community. You can probably take four jumps from one person to any other person if you really try. So, so. I'll say this too: um, I am not an overly religious person, so. Um, I'm just prefacing that to say this. Mike Strauss got a lot of crap about the church that he goes to and, mm-hmm. and their bylaws. Um, and I don't know. It, I know Mike, and I know Mike it, um, it is someone that would stand up as mayor for LGBTQ rights. So if, that, if I was Mike, I would have came out way stronger against that than he did. I would have, cause, and that would have been natural for me to do. I would have come out pissed off that people were accusing me of not, of, of being any, anything but um, morally uh, equal. So that, I don't know, that was one thing that I saw kind of play out that I, was, I thought, I'll, I'll call it a misstep from Mike, because I would have came out pissed. Um, just naturally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have come out and be like, are you kidding me? No. Um, yes, I go to this church. No, I don't believe in everything they say, and I will go to them, and I will tell them that, and I will say that I ho- hope they reconsider. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I just, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm using that as an example uh, of a bigger conversation here, is that, like, we can be associated with people, places, and things, and not agree with everybody 100%. Yeah. I also see, that's part of, like, grafting national issues onto local issues, too, and I have... I have a hard time being patient with that when, um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to campaign for a candidate, you're trying to call, you're trying to canvas, right? 
and you're like, hey, th- this person wants to, you know, improve infrastructure and build a expand the library and you know build a new pool, and they're like, well, who they vote for for president? It's like, <laughs> well, every time you go door knocking with a candidate, right? That always yeah, that's it's all, like, always well, comes up. I'll tell you that, but you know, and I understand that maybe you're not used to thinking about local issues, but it's just sort of uh, it's sort of a, a, a cop out, I guess. It's just. Again, it's tribalism. It's like, are you part of my tribe? If you voted for the same person I did as president, I might consider you. Otherwise, I don't want to not hear what you have to say. It's like, maybe they're actually the person locally who will address most of the issues that you really care about in local issues, but they just didn't, like, align with you nationally. That's definitely possible. Uh, and I, what I just said about Mike and, and his church, I, I can say the same thing about uh, Maboka and Chuck, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think it's fair for people to say, hey, you know, Chuck's on your advisory team, and I don't like that. But if I was Maboka and I heard that, and I and I would come out defensive. I would say, mm-hmm. of course I'm listening to Chuck Erickson. No, I don't believe everything he says. If you want to have a list of things I don't agree with him on, I could probably spend some time and do that. However, I think it's important that we hear, you know, the views of a lot of people, and Chuck's got a lot of experience, especially on the, on the east side of town. I, I, I mean, think, he used to be the chair of the Republican Party. Right. Like, you'd think he would know some things that might be useful to you in running a campaign. And, and, and I don't know, I can't think of a specific instance with Jackie, but I, I, I can tell you that she's probably got, I mean, maybe it's with the gin thing or maybe it's with something else. I'm sure she got pigeonholed into something that she probably could have came out stronger against, too. Mm-hmm. I just, I think people have to know exactly who they are and be prepared to defend that when you run for an, run for an uh, election, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, because especially locally, because to your point, I mean, like I'm, I'm I'm a member of the McLean County Chamber of Commerce, and I beat my head against the wall with the PAC every election cycle because I do not agree with the PAC almost all the time. <laughs> um, I mean, it just I one I don't think they're I don't think they're as involved as they should be, and I think that they are. I think we need more diversity on the pack. I mean, I think the chamber needs to recognize that there are people um, from the left that also support businesses. Um, but so I, I think it's hard to, I think you, you have to be prepared to defend yourself boldly when you run for office without mm-hmm. sounding like defensive. Uh, defensive all the time, right? Yeah. Um, you have to be able to shut it down right away when you hear something that's uncharacteristic. Um, and I don't think, honestly, I, I, I'll, I'll say Jackie probably did the best, and that's just talking out of you know, first thoughts. But I think Maboka and Mike could have done a better job at that. Um, well, but- I, I think that's really the downside of the the coalition approach. And I'll be interested to see if a group does this again when, when um, the three candidates in normal did that two years ago. They lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three progressive candidates band together into a, a, a ticket, and they they lost, and some of them got fewer votes than a, than Carl as a write-in. Um, but Stan, Karen, and Carl banded together, and Karen and Stan both got on, and I'm pretty sure Carl would have if he actually had been on the ballot, not a write-in at that time, so it worked for them. Um, you know, then the, the, the coalition of the four in Bloomington, I think it made it a little bit hard for them to to distinguish themselves because Kelby, for example, really had a different race than the other ones did. Very true. He was not running against a big money conservative with deep pockets and deep connections. He was running against an Episcopal priest who is really into social justice issues. <laughs> and so he, he kind of needed to, after the primary, assert himself in a different way and really establish himself in a different way. But since he's part of the group, he kind of had to like go with their same messaging, made it hard for him to do that. Um, I personally wouldn't want to do that if I was a campaign. 
I mean, if I was running a campaign or if I was a candidate, I'd kind of want to be more free to say what I wanted to say without worrying about other people. Um, I can definitely see the wisdom of pooling your resources and your expertise and your volunteers, though. That is appealing to, like, have uh, a centralized way of doing that. I could see some efficiencies with it. I think that's what they were going for. I don't Um, think... I think... I don't think it's the first time this has happened. I think it's the first time that they've been so vocal and out about they it named happening. themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, as far back as I can remember, there's been multiple candidates that's pulled resources, pulled volunteers, um, shared campaign headquarters, or, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's happened for a lot. But they were very vocal and open about, we're all in this together. Um, and they didn't do a... I don't know if this was... Ne- obviously, they didn't win, so I could say it was maybe needed of differentiating themselves within that coalition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, these are like they did a good job of saying these are the principles that this coalition agrees on. But, like, if I'm uh, one of them, I might be like, but I'm going to say a few things I disagree with you guys on, too. Um, because I think Eric Rankin said it uh, to GLT, is that, you know, the, the downside of those is you, you, you win together or you lose together, usually, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously didn't turn out well for in this election. And also, you're just a very contrary person, so you wouldn't want to be part of any group either, would you? <laughs> well, <laughs> wait, I'm different, though. Uh, yeah, I do like to be different. But, I mean, I, I think we all... I, th- I don't know. This sense of belonging... I know, but this sense of belonging <laughs> is... Um, like I said, I think... I can remember, you know, going and be like, hey, I, I hope this person... W-. Usually candidates don't do this, but, hey, I hope this person wins in this other race. They're usually too focused on their own race. But there wasn't a lot of individualism within that mm-hmm. uh, coalition. And, um, yeah, I mean, because you just run that risk, right? I mean, look, take the Kelby race as an example. Like I said before, both Kelby and Molly, I like both of those uh, both of those people. But maybe someone was, like, liked Kelby, but, like, was worried about, I don't know, Jackie or, or uh, Patrick. It was something they said and said, well... You know they're part of the same coalition, so I'm going to go over here and vote for Molly. Yeah. But the flip side of that is maybe someone didn't know Kelby or Molly at all, but really liked Patrick, and said, "Oh, I'm going to throw Kelby my vote." Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I guess it could work both ways. Yeah, it's risky. As I think more about this, I think some of it just comes down to like I'm a little bit of a control freak in <laughs> at times, especially if I'm running something, and I wouldn't like to have to be held accountable for something that someone else chose to do. I wouldn't want to be so closely linked to them that there's like contagion for example the john reed situation yeah right? yeah yeah that's um, great the that's fact a great that example. he was so tied like he and um Samity decided they're going to run together right mm-hmm. now now you know john has all this drama gets kicked out if they're a better fifth candidate pretty darn sure that Samity wouldn't have won there were only four candidates for four spots so he still got in but that was tough for him, and that was tough for Nick. Nick, who had it, Nick Becker, who had to sign up, you know. And there's, it's you got to be real careful who you, who you get in bed with, I guess, because then you, all of a sudden, you you've got to defend their comments in addition to your own. Yeah, and I mean, usually candidates have enough to worry about on their own that they just can't. I mean, they might say something stupid, right? I mean, every candidate's done it, you know. They say something they wish they could take back, and you got to deal with those. You can't be worried about this other person saying something stupid and you being tied to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just a lot. That's a lot of pressure. Um, but they, they, they went for it. Um, you know, I, I've, I'll say this. I'm surprised in the town of normal that all three council seats stay the same. Yep. I am surprised in Bloomington that no one on the people first. I completely agree. Won. I, I, there's definitely not what I was thinking would happen. And, um, and something that, um, they were really big on that I could totally agree with and, is 
that no one should feel intimidated about running for office. Of course not. Any anyone who does it, they even if you've done it before, <laughs> even if you've been been on a campaign before, it's all new. It's all chaotic. It's all just like a really challenging process. Yeah. But it, it, if it's something you believe in, you should go for it. There's not just like these type of people who are local politicians. No. It's just someone who raises their hand. And um, there's some long shots. Like there are people who, when I saw they were running, I was just like, there's no way they have. Well, <laughs> I mean, how Jeff Crable ended up being on council, right? It's very true. He, everyone was like, don't run against Josh Barnett. Don't run against Josh Barnett. You're it's a heavy lose. Republican ward. It's a Josh, waste yeah. of time. It's a conservative ward. And then Josh drops out. And then a challenger comes up. And then we're like, okay, well, that guy's a conservative, so he's going to get on. That challenger ends up not meeting the residency requirements. So Jeff's on it. And I, uh, to me, that's the example of just if you think you're the right person for the job and you want to do it and you want to spend the time, then put your name in the hat and see what happens. 100% right? agree. Uh, the, the question I always hate from uh, reporters and is what makes you qualified to run? Yeah. I always thought if I ever ask that question, I'm going to say I'm 18 and I live in the district. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I 100% agree. Like I, That's yeah. what makes you qualified to run. Um, and, and then owning uh, now I'll say this and uh, after the election I saw people put a lot of blame on other people for their losses and that angers me mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, our po- uh, I, I'm assuming it was our podcast because there's not too many of them what's called out in one of the posts and uh, that's not why it angers me it angers me because when you go to run for an office your job is to take the things you believe and convince everyone else that those ideas are have some merit and they should vote for you. So when you don't do that, meaning you lost the election, that is not because, like, it, we don't blame the students for not learning something the teacher's teaching, right? You go to the teacher and you say, hey, you're not doing a good job of teaching these students. It's the same kind of thing. It, it's you got to get your message across. And maybe your message was too extreme uh, mm-hmm. in some cases. Maybe it wasn't extreme enough in other cases. But that's not it's, – it's on you to convince people um, and your team. Um, but at the end of the day, it's you. And, you know, it doesn't mean what you were trying to say was right or wrong. Um, it means that you failed at getting more people to yeah. believe you. And stop blaming everybody else for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um – Losing an election should be a time of... Well, just failing to do some, anything you're trying to do, right? That should be a time to reflect on what you had control over during the situation. And if you want to learn anything to do it better, if you're going to do it again, right? Like, that's that's the value of failure is to say, what can I learn from this and do better? If you're going to spend your time seeing what everybody else did wrong, then... I don't know. Just don't try next time. I don't know what lesson you take from that, right? I, I mean, so. I, there's all. I mean, <laughs> again, this is. I, 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 I'm, I've been in sales and marketing my entire adult life, so I, I relate a lot of politics to sales and marketing. But like, I could have the best product in the world that I know 100% is going to help improve the lives of people. But if I don't do an efficient job of marketing that product, like that's not people's fault that they didn't know that they didn't buy it, right? It's mm-hmm. my fault. I didn't get it out there. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true with, with elections. It's it doesn't mean what you're saying is wrong. It just means that you didn't do a good job of getting it out there. Mm-hmm. So you can take some lessons from that. Either maybe do a better job, find out how to do a better job, and, and make it more relatable in the future, and run again. Um, dial that back your message. 
if there were people um, and take who, incremental steps towards your goal. If there were people whose support you wanted to have during it who didn't feel like were supportive of you, then you should spend some time talking to them to try to figure out how they could be supporters of yours, mm-hmm. right? If that, if you value that, like if you say, I really wanted the, uh, I mean, I, in, in the example you're talking about, I really wanted the, Repo- I really wanted the Democrats to help me more, then you should go talk to the Democratic leadership about what you could do to make that situation better yeah. in the future. I don't understand why these people aren't supporting me. Have you asked them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like um, yeah. or if you just went on Facebook and, and complained about it, yeah. because I mean, it does. It, it pisses me off. Um, so something I, I mean. I don't want to act like we're we're perfect too. I like when when people bring up things that we could do better, either directly or indirectly to us. I want to, I think about it, you know. And I, the thing I hear most often is that people wish that we were more um, that we called people out more, that we were more aggressive towards them, or that we would fact check them, or that we would um, tell them they're wrong about certain things, or, or, or argue with them about certain things that are wrong. And I've heard that from a lot of people, and so it's something I'm, you know, taking. I've heard it from people on both sides of the aisle, too, uh, now that I think about it. And, you know, I, I try to take to your, to, you know, when I feel like, so, when someone feels like you're not doing something well, you want to take that into account. But here's where I ultimately come down on that. I, I'm, I'm interested if you feel the same way. That if I had, uh, you and I are pretty well informed about um, some things that are going on. I like to city. pretend to. <laughs> there are some things that we know about. We know about what Planning Commission was doing. You know about downtown pretty well. Um, you know, there's just certain things that we know. There's certain things we don't know. So uh, people who are running, if they said something about one of those things, we could kind of take them to task on it. Um, Jeremy knew a lot about COVID restrictions and the legality of them and the questionable legality of the different types of bodies who can handle COVID stuff. Right. He was very well informed on that. Um, any of us could have, like, really drilled in and taken someone to task on that. I don't see that that would have necessarily been any of the, <laughs> that it necessarily would have been any certain brand of candidate. I don't see that it would have been territorially more than Coos. I don't see that it would have been um, Nick instead of Pat. Like Each one of them had weaknesses on things. There were a lot of newer people that were running this time, and so there were, there were questions that we could have brought up and things that we could have driven them to that were in our area of expertise, and that made them look foolish because they didn't know about it. But I, I question the value of doing that. Like, I don't know why that would help people understand the candidate more. I'm sure that for a candidate they don't like, it would make them feel good because they'd be like, oh, now, you know, Mark Tiratilli looks dumb because he said something that wasn't true and they called them on it, right? But I don't, I, I just don't know why that would be more beneficial than just letting the person talk, letting them talk about what they want to talk about, asking them some follow-up questions, asking them some clarifying questions. And then people take that information and then they do with it what they want. Like in the Pat and Nick situation, I love that Pat Lawler took Nick Becker's podcast interview and put it out there and said, here are five things he said or 10 things he said. I can't remember how many. These are a number of things he said. And these are why I disagree with them and why I think you should vote for me instead of them. I'm like, awesome, man. Like he gave you the rope. Use it. Like, yeah. And we're here to be a place where people can just feel comfortable actually being who they are. And I, I... I believe that when people are comfortable, they give you the best feeling of what they really are like. When you put them into a combative mode and start trying to, like, attack them, then they go into just, like, a defensive thing or, like, a reptile brain thing where you're just arguing, and they're not their best selves, right? Yeah. I talked a lot. I don't know. Is no, that- I, I I mean, I don't want to go into defending our podcast too much because, yeah. because at the end of the day, if you don't like it, don't listen to it. Um, I don't get paid for this. But... 
you're right, especially when it comes to election edition, how we try our best to interview every single candidate um, prior to the election, which takes a hell of a lot of effort from everyone that was on the podcast, you from editing and and getting the content out there. Um, It's a lot. And if we were to go to go to toe to toe with someone that we disagreed with, that would be the entire hour long podcast mm-hmm. and no one would gain any knowledge out of it. We wouldn't change the guest's mind um, and we would probably piss off people. Then they wouldn't come on the content uh, on the podcast in the future, either them or their supporters. It's not worth it. Um, like you said, if I if I know for sure they're lying blatantly to my face, I'm going to call it out. But I don't have I'm, this is not a full time job. I don't have the time to research everybody before they come on and if I'm if I'm not well versed enough to to go after them and, and feel confident I'm not gonna do it I'm gonna do what you just said I'm gonna let the listeners kind of listen to it and their opponents can dissect it and call out why they were wrong um, but I don't have time to do that and if you don't like the way we do our podcast stop listening to it we don't want your support anyway <laughs> I just I, I don't care um, yeah. you know we're not journalists we never pretend to be journalists we're it, this this kind of crap pisses me off the, everybody's and, everybody's and always looking for someone to be pissed off out. And the assumption that it would just benefit one side or not the other, I find is really interesting. Yeah, right. As if if we were just like brought our full confrontational force to bear that it would just make conservatives look bad and not liberals. Like that that that's not the case. And again, that sounds really arrogant. Like, oh, look at me. I'm holding back. It's also not something I'm very good at. Like, I'm not very good at arguing with people. I, I, I find it very uncomfortable. <laughs> I find it very draining. I will do it. Like anyone who works with me will know if I don't agree with you, I will, I will, you know, I'll let you know and we'll have it out. I love doing it when I'm informed. Yeah. But like, even, even when I feel like a guest is saying something I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. If I'm not confident enough to like, cause all it's going to take is me to say that doesn't sound right. And then they're going to come back with something and I have nothing else to yeah, rebut with. It's like, I'm, I'm stuck. So yeah. instead I'm just going to go to my friends after I record that podcast and be like, did you hear what they said? Is that right? And I'm going to do exactly what our listeners are doing. Like, yeah. did that sound right to you? I might do some more research on that after the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just like, again, I think everybody's looking for someone to blame or somebody to be pissed off at. And, um, you know, we decide to, go on and do this podcast and yeah I'm not saying I'm not trying to virtue signal here and say we're doing it for the common good of everybody else because I enjoy doing it but at the end of the day like we don't get paid for it so don't listen to it I don't care <laughs> like I mean I, I post stuff on Instagram and Facebook not for likes and shares like I do it because I enjoy doing it and I do this podcast for the same reason yeah um, so yeah whatever I just I, yeah. you got me kind of fired up <laughs> <laughs> I think about uh I think about if we did that with our non-political guests too, like, <laughs> like one of my favorite conversations was with was with Angelique Roshki from uh, BCAI. But what if I was just like, so dancing? You really think dancing's gonna help anybody? Like, <laughs> really? You think so? Like, <laughs> I never danced. I turned out just fine. Yeah, I, I was just like, I think you're just wasting your time with these kids dancing around. Like that, like how jerky would that be? Like that's not that's not know. necessary. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to be taking this this approach with. Me. So we've talked a lot about Tuesday and the election and the results and how that turned out. But now that we know who's going to be on both the Bloomington and normal uh, city and town council, what do you think is going to be uh, the biggest issues that they face over the next four years? Yeah, so there's always some uncertainty with, uh, with the ongoing projects if anyone's going to throw the brakes on them. Um, the two that are on my mind in particular are the O'Neill Pool and uh, the one that my wife told me not to talk too much about, which is the library. Um, 
It seems like there's good momentum going on those, though, those two capital projects that have been in the works for a while. Uh, I, I hope that there's not a big enough change in perspective that there, there'd be some sort of right turn on those initiatives because I think they're both very important and things that uh, the council has been trying to find a way forward on for quite a while now. Um, I think a big question to me along the, for those topics and most is just going to be how Malamboy leads as mayor. Um, he, he has not been a really vocal council member. He's not been somebody who's championed any initiatives in particular that I can think of other than Juneteenth recently. And so I, I don't see him from observer of the council being somebody who is someone who drives towards a certain vision that he had. I hear from council members, though, that that is how he is behind the scenes, that he's somebody who does help bring people together to help unify towards a message to bring things forward. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. What I'll be watching for is to see if he can bring that that make that transition and kind of help the city understand more what his priorities and vision are as mayor as the only person on the council who represents the entire city he, he needs to be uh, not just reacting to what's put in front of him he needs to be someone who's looking forward yeah i always looked at mayor as like a, a spokesperson for the city and um i think that's going to be seeing Maboka uh, in a different light than we have before. So that'll be interesting. And Bloomington's got a very divided council um, in terms of ideology, right? Um, you got Jamie, and um, in two, you got Donna Bolin. Um, three now, you have Sheila. Um, yeah, if you're going to put them in like three groups, I'd, going from left to right, you've got Jen and Jeff on the left. You've got. Um, Julie, I would consider on the left, just probably not as uh, yeah. far. Not as far there, yeah. yeah. And Tom Crumpler in that category as well. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. four people that I would consider left. And then yeah. I and Molly as well is out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, there you go, five. So you know, and then Jamie kind of continues along that spectrum. And then um, I think Jamie's more libertarian. I don't know if he classifies himself as that. But. Yeah, but some you know he's he's pretty moderate guy. He's pretty open to uh, to. Evidence, I guess, yeah. and then, and then you go on to Donna, Sheila, and Nick, and the degree to which they, you know, are, are conservative, quote unquote, whatever that means at the local level, um, kind of remains to be seen. But yeah. there's a there's a opportunity for there to be consensus, I think, along some initiatives, uh, you know, for the center and center right to come together on things. So I think, talking about issues, I agree with you. It'd be interesting to see, I hope O'Neill and the library uh, both move forward as we as we previously thought. But one of the bigger issues that didn't become a campaign issue um, that I think Bloomington is going to face in the next four years is uh, empty buildings. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's not a new issue. We've had the front and center building downtown empty since I've been paying attention. Um, it's been empty forever. Now you got the old Osco or CVS building downtown that is empty and I and I hear it needs a lot of work which you know that's what the front and center building is and then we have you know C2 East building that that needs mm. something done to it so there's a lot of buildings downtown and then you got Eastland Mall um, that is obviously in need of something um, to regenerate that area and then you have State Farm coming out saying they're going to do you know more hybrid working uh, which is I think um, I read a whole, I wrote an editorial about this going to be the way of the future and so you're going to need less office space which what's that do for commercial real estate so uh, it's going to be even more difficult to get people into some of those old buildings or restore some of those old buildings. 
So I think that's going to be a big issue in Bloomington uh, specifically just because of the amount of buildings that sit in there. Uh, what we're going to do with all this real estate. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what, you know, what kind of what things the city council can do. I think the, the, the city government needs to, um, you know, put a shot in the arm of their economic development department um, and have them work closely with the uh, EDC more closely than they have been on really rethinking how they're going to do economic development in the future. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's two general inclinations of what to do when an area is not performing well. Um, and one of the reasons I struggle with normal is that normal's, the town of normal's inclination seems to be to, when something's not doing well, to exert a lot of control over it. So one normal plaza is that way. It's like, yeah, there's some empty buildings that are breaking down. That area is not really prospering. It's by Route 66. So let's put in place like this really tight plan, and the city's going to say what exactly we want in all these different locations. And let's rezone it all. And let's like be really granular as far as what we want to see there. My my preference is to go in the opposite direction. My preference is when you, when something's not performing well, then you open it up to allow people to do whatever they want because what's what's there currently isn't working so like with eastland mall i think i've said it on the podcast before but my take on eastland mall is that you should loosen up the zoning to let whatever have the city not be a further hindrance to something developing there loosen up zoning requirements loosen up minimum parking requirements loosen up like land use so if someone wants to just like build like I mean, I like that Outback got built in the parking lot, right? Mm-hmm. We need more things to get built in that parking lot. Um, if residential, you know, could be considered in that parking lot. If someone thinks they can make a go, if they want to build tiny houses there, the city shouldn't be like, oh, no, sorry, that's zone commercial. That's not okay. Even though there's, like, houses right across the street from it. So I I think that um, I think I there should be, be more consideration though. of... of uh, having freedom be the answer instead of like government controlling what's going on because you can people have some ridiculous ideas sometimes and you don't want to make a problem today a problem in the future right so you know if some for, if someone wants to put apartments there or condos there and they say hey I, I can make this a go if you loosen up the zoning requirements and we do it and those fail because of where they are then that's just a problem in the future. Now we have a bunch of empty condos or apartments sitting there, right? So I think you got to be careful about it. Um, I don't disagree with your premise, though. I mean, I think I think it's a balance. Um, I mean, I think in some ways Normal has done a good job. I mean, if people that remember downtown Normal before it was uptown mm-hmm. um, and look at it today, I think that was a shot in the arm for, for downtown, now uptown. I think a shot in the arm is okay and then starting to let the free market take over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is what I've been talking about downtown Bloomington for a long time, like improve the streets, improve the lighting, improve the garbage, um, offer maybe some grants, which I know they already do, um, but maybe we can take a look at, at what would be better utilized to help with facades and then let some businesses come in and take over. Yeah. Uh, now, there are instances like the front and center building. You need to tear that down. Mm-hmm. It's 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 been. I mean, I know it's old. Some people will say it's historic. Um, There's a difference, though. But there is a difference between old and historic. And we need to tear it. The city needs to invest the money to tear it down, have an empty lot, then see what kind of market there is. But mm-hmm. you know, you're having businesses that don't want to come in and deal with the asbestos and the water, you know, the mold and all the stuff that might be in that building and invest in that. So let the let us invest in it so we can get some development there um, and, and some yeah. some stuff in the future. So I think it's a balance. I've uh, heard discussion of some things that could be done to try to uh, make it more accurately reflect the cost of the community to the person who's holding the building because 
if they're just holding it hoping that that the city or the state or someone's going to buy them out for some above market value rate um and i've that's what i've heard through the grapevine is going on there i don't know the details of it but um it's a possibility right and so something some kind of fee or assessment that would occur if a building's not being used i I think that'd be interesting it'd be interesting discussion to see what the ramifications are of that um the downside of that I see is if someone really is having a hard time and their building happens to be vacant for a while, like charging them for that seems like you're rubbing salt in the wound, right? Like what if a business is having a tough time, they need to close down for a couple months, well, then you're going to like hit them, with a, hit them with a fee on top of that for having a vacant building. Yeah, we're not that, talking so. a couple months though, right? We're talking a couple decades. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and there's a big <laughs> a difference there. there yeah. And I mean, it, it's one thing if you see steady improvement, right? Like, hey, um, you know fix these windows that have plywood in them um mm-hmm. you know those type of things if you see that that's one thing um but yeah i mean it's just it's not going the right direction um not just downtown like empty buildings in general mm-hmm. um in terry's end of terry's first term as mayor beginning of his second term there was a lot of talk about empty strip malls right like that's where dicks is now and, and where it was with kmart before that and it looked like we were heading in the right direction finding some ways to revitalize some things but you look across the city of bloomington today and there's just so many empty buildings that and there's like i said i I, my fear is it's going to be more with this new hybrid model that's going to become popular among a lot of companies Mm -hmm. that we don't have to have this office space anymore so office space is on the decline retail space has been on the decline for years what do we need all this space for Mm -hmm. Uh, what do we need all this concrete and asphalt for um so, I mean, uh, I'm not, I keep going back to this editorial I wrote just because I just reshared it to someone's Facebook, so it's fresh in my mind. But we need to start thinking of ways to attract people. Um, you know, the people that might have a job that's based in Texas or California or, or, or Nevada, but they choose to live here because of our quality of life. And I think that's where economic development needs to go in the future because technology is moving very rapidly in the way that we do not have to live where we work anymore, you know, and, and we have to recognize that and, and pivot quickly or we're going to be way behind with a lot of concrete and asphalt that are sitting empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that um, I got to take it back to <laughs> take it back to zoning, which on, on, on the face seems nerdy, but it's really how the city exerts a lot of its control over certain situations. So um, like I, I think about how in downtown, what's the difference? Why is downtown a financially profitable area when others are not? It has commercial on the bottom. It's got residential on the top. Um, think about think about building residential on top of the strip malls, so people can live in town. You don't have to expand the town as much. I mean, like things that can thicken up density, right? Have it, it, density so that you have most of the city's costs are based on area, right? Snow removal, trash removal, police, fire, water. Everything is based on area and the, like, distance that it takes from the city center to get there. Not everything, but a lot of things are. Most of the revenue is based on people. And so to turn a profit, you need more people per area. So then people are like, oh, gosh, do you want us to be, like, Chicago where everyone's, like, super dense and living on top of each other? That's not – that's an extreme going the other direction. But it's how cities are and most of – have been for most of – history and are in most of the rest of the world America has this America and Canada have this idea of like spreading things way 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 out 
And I think we're seeing the, the consequences of that. It's not an easy problem to solve. Like, it's not a quick problem. It's, it's tough. This is not a four-year issue. <laughs> no, no, and that's, and that's why... So I'm, I'm going beyond your question. You asked for four years. But, I'm but, but I think that's why I keep bringing it up is because I know the longer we delay talking about it, the longer the results are going to be there. Yeah. We need to have people in, in, in office thinking about these problems today so that we can have them fixed, mm-hmm. um, you know, 10 years from now. I mean, it, um, this goes back to um, garbage in downtown, which I'm not going to get on a high horse about, but... Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> but I started complaining about it four, no, five years ago. And I was told five years ago, oh, this has been a problem for a decade. So, so it's now 15 years and people get mad every time we bring it up, but it's like, well, unless we start talking about it and, and, and doing something about it today, it's not going to be fixed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I don't care how long you've been talking about it. I care how long you've been working on it. And, and not a lot of people have been working on it because it's still, I mean, it's something as simple as adding more garbage cans. Yeah. <laughs> like, like 15 years to add more garbage cans shouldn't be a, yeah. shouldn't be a big deal. And, and, and it does the same thing with empty buildings. We notice the problem today. If we don't start working on the problem today, it will, it will be 15 years in and still have a larger problem today and more people complaining about it. Yeah. Haven't even talked about the Coliseum either. Yeah. So, I mean, so what the heck we do with that? Um, well, yeah, and I think I think it's rethinking how we utilize that, right? It needs to become more of a conference center. I think doing something with the front and center area will be a tremendous impact to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the uh, transfer center, if we can, they, they decided to go in that Panagraph building. If they can think of a way, if the city and them can think of a way to work together um, to do some kind of multi-use project, that could help, right? Um, with the Coliseum and conferences, and that is type that of right thing. across the street from it? I can't remember the geography. It's a, bl- there. It's a block north. It's I think. a block north of yeah. it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that could, you, redesigning that idea. I know the um, Convention and Visitors Bureau is thinking about moving their offices in there. Um, so I think that's a good thing when you bring out of town guests to an arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they go drive right by a front and center building or right by, you know, abandoned buildings, whatever they are, that's not a good look. So we got to make sure we're doing something important there uh, to make it more appealing for people. Mm-hmm. Green space downtown is also important. Uh, I know when we f- were doing the rezoning, we talked a lot about the warehouse district and making it more like an arts district. Um, and I think, you know, getting some movement on that would be helpful. Um, we, need, we need some big plans like Normal did. I'm not saying we had to copy everything Normal did, and I definitely am, am opposed to continuing to put uh, government money or, or anything into a bunch of projects. But just some basic infrastructure stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, free Wi-Fi downtown, yeah. um, better streets, curbs, sidewalks, wider, better lighting, wider sidewalks, yeah. paved crosswalks. Public art. Yes, um, all those things. And I mean, yeah. uh, To your point, like, we want things that make people want to live here. Like, I... Um, with, with this new way of working that so many people are adopting, we, um, if I ever did work somewhere else, knowing that I wouldn't have to leave here necessarily is great because I love this community and I want to stay here for the long term. Um, and that's, that's different than it used to be, right? So if someone said, hey, there's this job in Chicago, uh, you know, and you just have to be in the office, like, even once a week, right? I could take the train up there. I could do once a week yeah. in Chicago. Um, still live here. I think that's more than most people are doing in this hybrid situation. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so like, then how do we get people who are currently in Chicago who work in there? Now they're like, hey, you only have to be here once a week. How do we get them to Bloomington, right? 
it's it's not through having really nice strip malls. <laughs> no, it's through having the unique elements of our community. It's it's the zoo. It's an attractive downtown. It it is. I mean, to some degree, the quality of our infrastructure and our streets, right? I, to some degree, yeah. Some people. I mean. Terry says, I think there's some truth to what Terry's talking point is. Of like, no one goes to a community and goes, hey, the streets are really nice here. I want to move here. But I do think when you drive around, if you see a bunch of potholes, you're like, oh, man, something's wrong here. Like, this doesn't seem like they're taking care of their spaces. I agree with that. And so I don't know that, like, awesome streets are going to make someone move someplace, but I think bad streets can be a deterrent. So I think there's something there. I think awesome streets, and I'm just using that as a generic term for infrastructure, Yeah. but, but clean, nice infrastructure makes businesses want to invest in the community mm-hmm. because the business sees that this municipality is investing in the community. So they're like, all right, they're going to take care of this. They're going to have nice parks. They're going to have nice streets, curbs, gutters, well lit. I'm going to invest my business here. And then those businesses that invest here along with the infrastructure is what gets people here, mm-hmm. right? So so it's a chain reaction, um, but start with the basics. And, and, and I... I, I differ with some of the like you know fix our streets people uh, on this because I you know what makes it attractive is like some of our brick streets right mm-hmm. like I want, mm-hmm. I want recondition those brick streets um, wide sidewalks downtown where you can easily have sidewalk cafes if I'm driving through downtown and everybody's inside it looks like it's abandoned but if there's people eating outside uh, people yeah, watching outside that kind of stuff they're going to stop and see what's going on doing those types of things and you could do that outside of downtown areas too um, I mean you, I think about that in the west side when I drive through about how there's some blocks where like streets and sidewalks are looking pretty good yeah the, the you know most of the houses are kept up and you're like like yeah this is you know, this is a, a place I could you know I'd want to move to there, there's some places where there's been disinvestment we were spent all of our money taking care of stuff out on the east side left the west side to squander and it's like well you're making a pretty clear signal that like this isn't a this isn't your first choice of places to buy a house, yeah. which isn't fair at all because that's those communities are are vibrant communities of people who um, you know it's a wonderful place to live like any other. But if you don't, if there's weeds everywhere and cracked roads and. Um, it's, it's not going to give that impression, right? Yeah, I mean, you just see what you see. What's important to the city by how well they take care of things. Yeah, um, just like you see what's important to people by how well they take care of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. I just I don't think it's that complicated of an issue. Um, I think the answers are we know the answers, I, and that's what's so frustrating to me is just like why can't we have any traction on these uh, yeah. on these things. I think Bloomington's going to continue to have a very risk-averse council with this. That was that was something I um, that was the part of me that really wanted the um, Jackie and her crew to win was the part of me that just wants to get stuff done, like for better or worse, right? Like, just can we do just something. do something? Yeah. Can we do something instead no, of talking about it? And um, I, I do not see that attitude coming onto the council at all, unfortunately. Um, but more I, more know, reactionary instead of, is that what you mean? I'd say more just careful, careful, like, progress towards established goals and Small kind of intru- incremental fully, fully vetting things. and <laughs> Which um, isn't bad. Like, you say it like that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's okay to fully vet and be careful about Sometimes things. you just don't know and you just got to <laughs> go and pull the trigger. Or sometimes more conversation isn't going to do anything. That right? I'll agree with, yes. People, are, people who are for it are going to be for it. People who are against it are going to be against it. Bloomington loves their plans. And then it. see how much dust they can collect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
I think there will be a lot of debates. There'll be a lot of debates over process of like, did this go through the right groups and do the right things? And again, at a certain point, there's a time for a leader to gather feedback. Like Steve Jobs, right? What, I can't remember his exact quote, but he's like, if I had given people what they wanted, they just would have like wanted a, like a, a better landline, right? right? I gave them what they needed, even though they didn't know what they wanted it yet. People don't know what they want until I should tell them what it is. Yeah, so there, like there's yeah. some degree of leadership like that, of like you just got to pull people along. There's it's worth degree. noting Steve Jobs was an asshole too, though, yeah, right? Well, it's, well, that's, <laughs> the, that's the opposite okay. side, is you do have to be in touch with your community, and you have to listen to what they have, and if people are skeptical, then, then go slower, you know? I see a lot of listening and going slow and tabling things for later for more discussion. And uh, So as an armchair quarterback of the city council, I'll, I'll, I'll have plenty to, you know, smack my head about when they're talking about things. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's the beauty of politics, right? Is that we elect people and we can judge every move they make then. Yeah, then we can just <laughs> criticize them ruthlessly and not take any responsibility for our actions. At right? least I'm in favor of paying them more for it. <laughs> <laughs> Typical liberal. <laughs> just spend more money on the problem. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Less than 1% of our budget to give them a triple raise that yeah. would better align them. Yeah. Well, I think normal will probably progress. Um, I think they might be a little bit more careful. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I could be, see me being wrong. I mean, to your point about Bloom and Shine getting so much support, yeah. I think that they should take a message that there's a need for more outreach and consideration of people who are hesitant about what's going on. So. But they lost. And I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. just, I'm paying devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying personal opinion, but like part of me is just like, you know what? They lost. I'm going to do what we said we were going to do because the people that voted for me voted for me because they wanted me to do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I see both sides of it. Um, I mean, I see I think about this nationally a lot because um, the Republicans are very good at if we can do it and we want to do it, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats always seem to be like, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of people that would be mad if we go ahead and do what we said we were going to do. Yeah. And, and then that's how the Democrats get nothing done. But <laughs> so, I mean, I see both sides. It's like, I don't know. I, I've always, I've been skeptical of Normal's plan of Uptown 2.0 since they announced it. Um, I w- I'm a major fan and in supportive of Uptown 1.0. Um, but 2.0, I'm just... I'm hesitant um, because I don't think we're looking at downtown normal anymore of a place that is going trending downward. I think uptown normal is trending upward. Mm-hmm. It's going to take longer if we don't put more government money in there to, to grow. But I think we can do it privately. I think there's enough interest there that we can yeah. wait and see. They really got to get that bottom that bottom floor of that building filled. Um you know that's got to be a frustration for them too, because you know they yeah. get talked about it every week, yeah. every day. It's just such a symbol of it's a it's a, probably an outsized symbol of the weaknesses of that approach, but it is a symbol nonetheless, and some sort of like indication that well, maybe the demand's not really there. So I don't know. I, I think holding off until something goes in there is probably a good good call. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, very good. So. So, yeah, I think uh, Stan Nord's in a tough spot. He thought he had allies coming, but he doesn't. Um, so I think he'll have to – I think they'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he continues, like, his same tone and track uh, for the next two years. My bet, my bet is that he will. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, go ahead and put, put money on says that but he's going to be more the same. It seems more challenging to claim that you're speaking for the – people when those who also said they were aligned with the same way didn't win. It just um, goes back to what I was talking about uh, earlier with the Bloomington election. It, it's like 
your job is to get more people to agree with you, and you don't do that by being that divisive. Mm-hmm. Like, like Stan doesn't understand how politics works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you don't. You're not going to win people on your side of the argument by degrading them on Facebook. Like, have some conversations and and, and state your case and have facts and and lay out a plan and see where you can come together. That's what politics is, mm-hmm. and. and, and I mean, so here's this, like, this attention grabbing on social media of elected officials is is yeah not productive. I think I think having somebody else manage your social media account if you're elected <laughs> official is probably a really good call. Um, <laughs> just check in with you on occasion, but not having that that 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> comment in the in the. But section. then you're not transparent, right? That's the yeah, argument. It's like, yeah. well, um, I don't. Yeah, I just I. I just I want it, our politicians to like not act like they're elected. They're in a higher office. They need to act it, act it, and, yeah. and, and get people on your side. <laughs> like I think about defunding the police, and this wouldn't win everybody over, right? But if that was something that I, if I was like really into that, right? And and I, there's there's aspects of it that I think the police do things in this country that they shouldn't be doing, and so I don't like the slogan at all from a marketing standpoint. Sure. But if the thing is, are the police doing things they don't need to be doing, and is it causing a lot of problems, and are those problems hitting our our minority communities more than they should? Totally agree with all that. But here's how, here's how I would make the case of someone if they were, let's say you have a fiscal conservative, right? You're trying to make that case. It, it, it's not hard. You say, look, we have all these police officers that we're paying to drive all over the place kind of randomly all night looking for stuff arresting people that they happen to see doing things wrong, putting themselves at risk, putting the people at risk, not necessarily addressing the issue, that underlying issue, which is like there's issues of poverty, there's issues of drug addiction. And so you're spending all this money on people just kind of addressing symptoms. So doesn't it seem more reasonable to move towards a model where you're spending your money to address the actual conditions that are causing this behavior instead of putting our men and women in police in, in blue at risk by, by doing all these things and paying them all this money to do this. Not that it would convince everybody, but you can reach out to the other side that way, right? It's like, there's things we care about. The the well-being of police officers, the amount of money we're spending on things. Let's try to build a bridge here. Let's try to work together. And so it, that's an example coming from the left trying to go to the right. And that's, that's what I would hope most elected officials are doing, right? It's like... But I, I don't know that they are. I, I don't know that that's, that kind of bridge building is occurring. But in my mind, that's the only way you get anything to happen. If you can't just force everyone who already agrees with you to get elected and be on the council, right? Um, yeah, and then and then blame others when they don't, it doesn't work out. Like it just yeah, yeah. It's divisive in a way that's not productive at all. I mean, there's something to be said about, and I, I've, I've said this about far left and far right people that I strongly disagree with. There's something to be said about those the, that tactic, right? Because they, the state, I, I, I consider myself a moderate Democrat, so I'm going to use the far left as an example. They... They make me. They challenge the way I think about things. So when mm-hmm. I when I hear something and I'm like, wow, and I, well, we've been talking about defund the police. So I'll just stick with that. When I hear defund the police, I'm like, ooh, that's 
that's really bold. And then like, but it does challenge me. It's like, well, let me think it through. And I do the same thing with the far right, but less probably because we, it's nowhere close to where I'm at. But you do it with the moderate, right? Oh yeah, of course. Like you'd have a conversation with Josh Barnett where you learn some things and inform your view. And right? I use Josh Barnett a lot because we're friends, but I mean, yeah. yeah, a lot of my, I mean, me and Chuck Erickson have sat down and had, had political discussions on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, there, I, like the, I like being challenged on the way I think about things, but I don't like, especially from the far left, being told that, like, uh, it seems like we're hurting, we're hurting the cause by going after each other. Well, Does like that a, make sense? Like, yeah, it's, like, a, like, it's like a religious thing that, it's almost like a religious feel, like you're a heretic if you speak against the, the dogma. Yeah. And, I mean, that was the reason why I was an atheist for so long, is because... People who just like, you know, if you want to tell me that if I disagree with the authority that I don't have any place in your group, then fine, I'm not going to be part of your group, right? right? I have this kind of, I have this rebel aspect of myself of like, if, you know, if you're going to tell me I can't say this thing, I'm going to go ahead and say it just to annoy you, right? And it's not, it's not something I necessarily embrace about myself, but there's a reason why I'm a fan of South Park is because they just, they poke every single sacred cow, including ones, they they make fun of me for doing things, you know? And I, I go, you know what? Like, that's fair. Uh, and so like I, Bill Maher is that way for me. Like a lot of a lot of Democrats don't like Bill Maher, uh-huh. and I don't agree with everything Bill Maher says by a long shot. But I love how he he says some things sometimes yes. that about me <laughs> that I'm like, all right, that's pretty funny yeah. and true. Um, you know, and, and he's not afraid to go after his own people. Uh-huh. And I think I, without be taking it personally, and I, I, maybe that's it. I think too. I think too often we take things really personally or we attack people personally when we should just challenge ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I, I love my ideas being challenged. I love getting in a good conversation or debate about what's right or wrong or the right path. Um, but I hate when it almost turns like I'm not, I'm not worthy of this discussion because mm-hmm. I disagree with you. Yeah. Um, or because of some immutable characteristic about yourself. Right. Like just, Oh, you're, you're not a part of this group, so you can never understand. Like, eh, I don't, I don't know. Try yeah. me. Like, try to see if I can understand. Right. <laughs> let's, and, uh, let's keep talking and see if I can understand. Right? And there's a degree of that, but yeah, again, don't make me think less of myself when I'm trying, when I'm on your team, like I'm, mm-hmm. I, I want the same things as you do, but I'm not where you're at yet. And instead of like having a good discussion and seeing where we are, are where we can meet, you just you decide to degrade me uh, even further. And that, that just irritates as hell to me. Cause, yeah. um, like, well, that's the part, too, about, to go back to something we talked about about an hour ago of who you have on your campaign staff, you, you could have someone on your campaign who you completely 100% disagree with, but one of the leaders I respect the most is Abraham Lincoln, and, I mean, his book was called, the, one of the books about him was called Team Arrivals, right? Because yeah. he actively invited people who disagreed with him to be part of his advisory committee to keep him honest, right? But respected so, him to make the final decision. Yeah. Because he was elected, right? You yeah. want smart people who disagree with you to be around you. That's the that's the best situation to try to keep you on your toes, right? Make sure you're really thinking about stuff. So, 100%. I mean, the best campaigns that I've worked on, you know, has been in a basement or a living room with, you know, four to six people sitting in chairs in a circle talking debating and having heated conversation about strategy or how how the candidate should come out for or against something and having everybody disagree and then the decision being made of like all right this is how we're going to do it and like half of you leave pissed off half of you leave in a good mood but you're all like rallied around that cause still because you've had such a great debate and conversation about it yeah and, and 
I think that's able to happen because it's usually in a living room or a basement or something, and that conversation doesn't get out. The problem with today is it's all on social media. Yeah. And so everybody's yeah. judged by what they put out there uh, or what they don't say or say. And Well, especially now, I was thinking about how hard how hard COVID is with this of things that maybe people would have just said in passing because they were upset at their election watch night party. Now all of a sudden they're out in social media causing a stir with people. Um, There's, there's a degree of that. Um, I mean, we didn't talk about COVID. It's not like COVID is done now, right? The the next four years is going to be definitely dealing with the repercussions of of that. It's going to get bad in winter again. So we're going to have to deal with that as a community. Um, well, the last hyper- set of leaders didn't. I mean, I, I gave them a lot of grace because it's like, hey, how could you possibly have known this was going to happen? Everyone got caught off guard. People who ran in this round, they knew this was a situation, so they need to come in with a plan and some actions based on this. And I think we, I think it's fair for us to be more critical of leadership in this, you know, going forward. Now that some elections have gone through, yeah, for sure. Like I, I'm actually, um, like. I, It'd be interesting if WGLT or another news outlet would go to, like, Maboka now and say, all right, uh, you know, next winter when COVID spikes up, how are you going to – are you going to use the Liquor Commission for mm-hmm. this? I mean, we – and I only pick on Maboka because we have the same mayor in normal. Uh, but is he going to do anything differently? Um, I'd be I'd be interested to see that or know that before the time comes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So we have some time to talk about it before it becomes a reality. And talking through that issue more with Jeremy – it's not just this like trivial academic issue that you can hand wave across. Like if our system is not set up with a body that can enforce a certain thing, you don't get to just pick the nearest one and have them do it. Like that's not how that's not how US government is supposed to work. And if if there isn't, you need to kind of tighten that up, right? You need to make like an actual law and then have the bias going to enforce it. But it was just kind of, I felt like the best argument about liquor commission was like, well, someone had to enforce it. And so liquor commission did. It's like, eh, but there is, there is, makes me uncomfortable from a constitutional standpoint. What if someone did something I totally didn't agree with? Right. And like, but I don't, uh, so I don't like the idea. I'll say that first. I don't like the idea of liquor commission doing it, but I also got irritated. I, who was, I think it was Scott Preston in normal. Um, that said, it said the only law that these establishments were breaking was, or the only rule they were breaking is, it says on their on normal's liquor code that they have to abide by every law the state has, uh-huh. and they broke that, and that's the only thing they broke. I'm like, yeah, but that's one of them. Like you, can't, you can't be like, well, the only law I broke. But I don't was think a, it was a. I don't think it was a law. It was an emergency order. That's the order. debate. That's yeah. the debate, right? It, it, is does those emergency orders go into being a law? And, I, and yeah. I think that's a lot of gray area. I think you could have really smart attorneys on both yeah, sides. Yeah, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. Right. But I think we need to resolve that. To me, like, I would really feel better if we resolved that. Or instead of having these emergency ordinances that go on for multiple years, can we just have some laws and, like, just put laws in place? And then we can follow the laws and we can all be in agreement, right? And then we can complain about something. Then we can disagree about something else. But, um, but yeah, we should uh, – it'll be interesting to see how a council that ran knowing that this was happening will fare and if it'll be any better. Um, I don't know. Everyone's getting, a lot of people are getting vaccinated. Uh, I've had my first shot. I've had both. Yeah, both. Yeah. Did you get sick sick on the second one? Uh, No. So, so I got Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and I, 
told everybody I was going to work from home uh, Thursday and Friday just in case because uh, I heard that people were getting pretty sick. I was I was noticeably more fatigued the day after, mm-hmm. uh, but that was it. No like six six symptoms or flu like symptoms or anything like that. It was just noticeably noticeably fatigued. Okay. Um, but feel good now, um, which yeah. is great because I I got to go out of town for a work uh, for a business trip here in a couple weeks and I'm going a little bit more uh, happy that I'll be fully vaccinated. Yeah. So. Good. Yeah, I'm getting mine in a couple of weeks, so I mean that'll definitely change the dynamic of things too. So, but we're getting close to. We've been talking for a while. I'm curious. Just one more thing. Like, what's uh, what are you thinking about working on? Like, what's something you'd you'd like to try to champion or get done over the next like year or two? I would like to have more people become aware of how the city and the town should think about development. About development? About development. Okay. So I know this is tapping right into something that you are very passionate about. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, and do a better job of educating myself. I mean, I, I think I have a, a better understanding than most just because I'm a nerd and I've read a lot of books about it, but I kind of haven't for a while. So I would like to kind of get back into that. And really, because my fear is that new mayor um, developers coming in with uh, mortgage rates being where they are, we could see more developers wanting to do sprawl, yeah, and that scares me. We um, are seeing um, on planning, we're seeing more uh, residential developments starting up again. Yeah, so I want I want to educate myself first and get up to speed on some things, and then I really want to advocate over the next several years about the importance of smart development. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that looks like of me advocating. I don't know if I'll be on planning. Uh, there's a new mayor, so I have to get appointed by the new mayor when my term is up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, it's up to him. But whether I'm on planning commission or not, I, I think that will still be a cause that I'll be passionate about over the next few years. That makes sense. Yep. What, what about you? I'm really interested in the comprehensive plan update. I think that's... Uh the, the timing on that's a little vague. COVID's causing some issues, but uh, the idea, I think, was always whenever the census was done that that'd be the natural time to refresh it. My assumption is it would be a, a refresh and an update and not a complete top-to-bottom. That's the way I understood it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. and I, I as I read through it, um, I haven't read it in a couple of years, but as I think through the major themes of it, I don't know that much has changed fundamentally in the last 10 years, but I think there's some information that could be updated and revised in that some direction that could be changed to reflect the progress that we've made in some regards and then also um you know maybe there's some things we don't want to progress towards uh i want to see some grades i mean uh, you know in in a sense like i want to see hey we we were gonna look at this how have we done yeah so far um because i think unless you measure where you've come so far it's hard to tell where you're going Mm -hmm. so that i'd be interested in that um yeah, you know, especially going back to sprawl and and how um, some of those some of those things. How how well are we doing with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to know. Um, I, I'm pretty disconnected from the the west side and other areas that are are struggling, um, and uh, it's not something I'm proud of. I wish I was more connected to the people in our community that were uh, that were in need. So. Through that process, I hope to get some more, some more information about how we're doing to pr- to progress towards some of the goals for the most vulnerable people in our population, um, in our community. Make sure we're we're you know uplifting them as well too. The the other thing 
you just mentioned uh, the census is some of the ward lines are changing yeah and county wise the districts are going to change um, and that's going to be very interesting too uh, that's going to happen in a couple years because mm-hmm. um, a lot of change can happen when those lines get redrawn yeah um, but I'm, honestly the county I worry about more than I do the city. Mm-hmm. City's lines are going to change, but I think overall the system's not going to change. We're going to have uh, you know nine wards, I believe, and, and all that's going to change. But the county, they can change the number of districts. They could change the number of people. Um, they, you know, they could say, hey, we're only going to have ten representatives instead of twenty. They could, mm-hmm. I mean, all kinds of things could happen. Um, and so the county, I mean, if it's drawn differently, could be could be a complete lock for Republicans too. Like if you look at the last countywide elections, yeah. If you look outside of Bloomington, normal. Like a dem- anyone with a D next to their name doesn't have a chance, and so the temptation would be there to completely gerrymander it so that there's there's no point in a Democrat running for um, county board. Uh, and that's not good. That's not good for for moderate Republicans either. And I want to be clear. Like I'm not. I, I, it's not a positive thing. Like you have Jason Barrickman from the state talking about an independent commission drawing lines for the state. Mm-hmm. Like at the very least, we should have a bipartisan commission drawing them for the county um we shouldn't have a group of republicans drawing the lines i hope they make that decision um especially for as close as some of those elections are it should prove that the mclean county is pretty purple mm-hmm. um and and so having having a bipartisan group come up with those lines is just the right thing to do yeah the fact that we're purple is something that i embrace and something i really love about this community the, the fact that somebody with a message like I mean, like a Tom Crumpler, right? Like someone who comes out and runs associated with the Democrats, but he can he can be elected, right? Uh, it's not like in you a have conservative to, war, yeah. In a conservative war, yeah. It's not like you have to be an extreme on one side or the other to get into office, because then you, uh, if that happens, then you get in and everyone's just extreme and no one's willing to work with each other. Um, I like that about our community. It's, I wouldn't want to live somewhere that was just solid blue, solid red. Because then what's the point of having a debate, right? You know how it's going to go anyway. I guess you're just debating over red or redder or blue or bluer, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be something that would be good to keep an I, eye on as I, things progress. And, and I encourage our listeners just to pay attention uh, when that those conversations come up because that's going to impact everyone uh pretty dramatically one mm-hmm. way or the other so uh, yeah. when you start hearing about uh the county or the city draw redrawing lines uh pay attention yeah for sure well cool it was very fun hanging out justin i'm glad we can uh, start to work our way into doing these in yeah. person uh i like doing things here at little beaver hopefully the background noise is not too much for people but i heard people kind of like the ambiance so yeah i don't know who was moving chairs but all that squeaking there that last half hour was getting to me a little bit so that hopefully was, that didn't come across too much on the- yeah it was a little bit that wasn't <laughs> us so um, well, cool can i promote something real quick yeah go for uh, it. i will be hosting trivia on thursday night starting this thursday at dr mckay's uh 7 p.m so if you've ever played trivia like trivia it's free to play uh you can come out have dinner and drinks uh, and play trivia, but I'll be hosting 7 p.m. at Dr. McKay's on Thursdays. Any type of trivia in particular? Uh, it's Twin City Trivia. So if you're familiar with them, there it's a it's a company that goes around to a, many different establishments all around Central Illinois. Um, but the categories differ pretty widely, so you mm-hmm. don't need you can have anywhere from uh, one to six people on your team and be able to win a prize. Every everywhere has a prize. Okay. You could play with more than six, but then you're not eligible for the prize. Um, but if yeah, you, they, uh, if they, you just show up by yourself and want to be part of a team, can you get someone hooked up 
You could probably sit down with somebody, but I'll say that uh, I, there is somebody that plays every Thursday at Dr. McKay's that's solo by himself. He just sits up at the bar and eats his dinner and, and drinks a beer and plays by himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can. Um, I, I played trivia with as few as two people um, and as many as six, and it's a good time um, and it's it's affordable, right? All you're doing is buying your food and drinks. Mm-hmm. The the trivia is free, so cool, cool, yeah. Uh, and also another plug for our Patreon, go on patreon.com, at, type in podbn if you want to tell us thank you in a tangible way, even just a little $5 cup of coffee for Justin and I to tell us you appreciate it. It really uh, means a lot to be recognized in that way. And uh, give us a follow on whatever podcasting app you use to listen to this. I think we're on all of them. If there's one that we're not on, let me know. I can try to figure out how to do that. But make sure you follow that or subscribe to it or like it or whatever you need to do to get the updates for it so you can hear from us. Thanks to Little Beaver for letting us sit here again. That was pretty fun. Yeah. And uh, also, if anybody wants to be a guest or come on, what we're going to be doing now is just kind of camping out here on uh, on Sunday afternoon. So if you want to come stop by, let us know. We can tell you when we're going to be here. Be happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And um, we'll kind of get back to our normal grind here now that the elections are winding down. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah one, one show every few weeks ain't too bad. Yeah. All right. And are we done? Let's be done. 